Hello and welcome to ZeroNet 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me is Joel Stronberg. How's it going, Joel? Oh, pretty well, Jennifer. How about you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. It is, it's peak summer here where I live and there's blue sky and puffy clouds. You know, it's every reason to get out and enjoy life. Uh, well, you know, I can't say the same about Washington. So. <laughs> I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, typical Washington summer here and, and we we set a new record of having 27 days in the month of July, over 90 degrees. Ugh, that's awful. Yeah. yeah. No, it is not inspirational. No, no, but um, thank God for air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, let's jump in here. So we talked during a recent podcast about environmental justice in the renewable energy industry, and specifically how the industry is going to have to change to address it. Um, now, we won't dig in too much on our feelings about, uh, you know, how how the industry really stands at this time, but we can we can dig in a little bit on some of the issues. And there are two sides to this conversation. One is equity in the workforce, and the other is equity in distribution of the of the power itself. That is, who has access to the benefits of the technologies, such as solar, to realize reduced energy costs. Um, and so to that second point, let's look specifically at solar, because I recently read some information uh, from uh, stats from a study from about a year ago. And and the stats themselves are they're shocking and it it bears talking about. So the stats show that based on median income, black residents in areas where they were the majority installed 69 percent less solar PV than areas where they were not a majority. And those are stark numbers. And for Hispanic residents, that number was 30%. So, you know, more, less than half. So when the researchers adjusted for home ownership, not just people who lived in an area, but who own their own homes, Hispanic homeowners in areas where they were a majority installed less solar PV compared to areas where they aren't a majority by 45%. That's a huge number. And then, you know, making the necessary adjustments to an industry to offset those very high numbers is critical. But, you know, essentially you have to ask yourself, what do those adjustments look like? And, and we can look at what's going on in our communities right now to understand you know what that vision has to be um you know i have some examples but you know i don't want to hog all the time here and so i'd you know, be interested in what it is that you've been thinking about on this topic because i know it's been on your mind well it has i mean and certainly i'm i'm not the only one that's been thinking about this i mean justice yeah. um has been much in the news lately and uh, we're we're in a strange place in history i think that um mm -hmm. It, it kind of goes down to the basics. I mean, for years we've had environmentalism and we've had civil rights. Um, they've gone pretty much along parallel paths without ever connecting. There, there have been words said, you know, the proper words that, you know, this is this is for everybody, power for everybody, what have you. But it, the, the two have never really come across. Um, and I mean, solar, for example, has been an expensive technology. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's. I mean, the, 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 the first users um, tend to be wealthy and the wealthy in this station tend to be white. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're seeing 
now is a reevaluation of um, of the nation as a whole. I mean, the the the, the George Floyd um, killing has just triggered something that I don't think anybody had really been ready for that or anticipated in the sense that. Um, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a product of the 60s, okay, and, and I was involved in the civil rights movements um, in the 60s as a legal services attorney then, and um, what's happening now is, is like the 60s on steroids. I mean, it, all of a sudden, this kind of pent-up um, anger and emotion and, and discomfort, I think, um, yeah. is really just, just blown up in a time in which the the nation is, is suffering from a pandemic on the one hand and an economic problem on the other and still environmental justice has stayed really really strong in the conversations yeah. um, what's happening now is um, we're seeing organizations like the solar energy industries association and and the wind groups and and um, uh, you know other organizations kind of taking a look at themselves and saying well do we really are, are are we just in the sense not only in the access to the technology but as far as the jobs and and the job training are concerned and so um this is it's a real awakening and um i've been surprised to be honest with you that the environmentalism and racism um have a really strong connection historically the sierra club founder um uh for example john muir was it was a racist i mean he he, he used racial epithets about black people. Um, he was in in partnership with with people that um, created the eugenics um, movement. Eugenics mm -hmm. is a, is a pseudoscience movement that says uh, minority groups, uh, Jews, blacks, gypsies, any minority group is inferior to whites. Um, and this has been hiding under the under the substrate, if you will, of, of all these groups for years. The organizations themselves tend to be very white. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what's going to happen now and what what has triggered, interestingly enough, is, you know, the Green New Deal conceptually was talked about in a sense of kind of, uh, of justice. I mean, there was environmental justice involved in all aspects of this. People were laughing at that when it was first uh, laughing. I, some people were laughing about it, they, and certainly, yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, Trump, um, you know, has, has used it as as socialism and and all the I mean, all the bullshit that, I mean, he's been he's been putting out there. Um, but now, what's happening is that people are actually thinking about the fact that environmental justice, in the terms that the Green New Deal had spoken about, is for real. Um, yeah. And so, what's happening is we're getting a focus, for example, on policies that make the technology is more accessible to all communities, um, and especially to low-income communities. And there are ways to do that, but you mm -hmm. need policies that do that. And it, traditionally, what we've been historically, what we've been doing is, you know, we we kind of set up these community solar projects, not in the areas where they're being used, but but as offsets. And now what's happening is we're we're looking. I think I think that the 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 movement itself, the, both the environmental and the clean energy. Uh, industries are beginning to reevaluate how to be able to get these technologies um, into the to the low um, income communities, at risk communities. I personally think that this isn't just about a race; it's also about economic um, uh, status. I think mean, there's a classism that's involved in this as yeah. well.
Yeah. Um, the Democrats, I mean, Biden's plan, I think that we're going to be looking at a, at a um, uh, Democratic plank that really is going to have this included. And Biden, for example, has promised um, to raise environmental justice um, to the, into the office of president. Um, and uh, in, in the sense of having an individual or individuals um, there. It, this is something that you know occurred. Trump has basically killed the environmental justice section of the Environmental Protection Agency. But right. uh, up until recently, and it started actually with George um, George H. W. Bush, um, the the father of George W., um, yeah. where EPA had a, an office of environmental justice. Um, it grew through from Bush to Clinton um, to even George W. Bush had at least had the office, and then Obama came in, and, and it, it it created a, um, a a more impressive, a more involved office, if you will, at EPA. And then mm -hmm. Trump came, and it all goes away. Right. I have to admit that I mean, even the even the EPA office um, didn't do what was necessary. I mean, it did. It talked about you know how at risk communities at the at the back end of the discharge pipe, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. But it didn't really bring into the conversation how you get the technologies in. The Department of Energy never really had that kind of an office. Their, their, their low-income programs, for example, were basically things like, um, like LIHEAP. How do you help poor people pay for the power that they're using, whatever right. resource it is? Um, and then they had some you know, building programs that, that worked in, in low-income communities, but nothing on a large scale. Um, and so, so again, what we're seeing is, you know, one of the emphasis of the Green New Dealers, um, Ocasio-Cortez, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, and Senator Sanders, the first bill that they put in under the Green New Deal heading was buildings. Um, right. And what they talked about was, you know, how, you, how do you get buildings more efficient, but not only just buildings, how you, get, how you get buildings more efficient. You know, how do you incorporate solar? How do you take populations um, that are suffering from higher unemployment rates and bring them into the new technology era, the technology of the 21st century. And right. so what happens is that it, there, you have to look at this as, a, as, a, as an inter-sector kind of problem and find the places where, where it's going to work. And a lot of this has to do with, with, with training and, and creating a, a financial system um, that, in fact, brings the technologies into what are usually rental properties more than they are uh, owner, building ownership. So I mean, you have institutional problems that need to be addressed and I think are going to be addressed at this point. At least I hope yeah. they are. Yeah. Well, um, there's a group here in Vermont called the Clean Energy States Alliance. It's based in our state's capital in Montpelier. And they just named the Energy Trust of Oregon, uh, Oregon. <laughs> I don't know why I said Oregon. Uh, among a list of um, state-level renewable energy efforts that are accelerating the clean energy transition. So I think there were six all together. But the Energy Trust itself has instituted what they're calling the Inclusive Innovation Project. And it, it, that project included grant awards to community groups to develop their own program ideas for overcoming the barriers to solar for their community members. So they look to within those communities to get the ideas for how to be innovative there. 
um, among the grant recipients, for example, was an African-American home ownership organization. Um, so the Energy Trust also has um, critical internal structures that help address equity issues in its programs. Uh, they just created a diversity advisory council last year, and then earlier this year, it hired a new manager to provide leadership on diversity and equity. And I think those particular moves, this diversity advisory council, uh, is, a, is a direction that every organization should be headed so that uh -huh. that voice is loud and clear. That, that, that's exactly right, Jennifer. And, and I think that what's happening now is, you know, one of the things that, that, that not one of those things, but what's happened over the years. I mean, when you have, when, when people speak about, uh, you know, the, an organization, especially group, community groups, the, the, the major policy pushing groups like the Sierra Club and stuff, when they talk about groups like this um, as being white, uh, a, what happens is that the, the organizations themselves then begin to look at policies through white eyes. I mean, and I don't mean that in a nasty way. It's just that, mm -hmm. Just what happens? I mean, you, the, the organizations take on the personality of the people in it, and so yep. by by recognizing that that the need is to bring in these communities, and you don't do it for the communities; you do it with the communities. You give yep. you it for those communities to help develop the policies and the programs that are needed. And that's, I mean, I think that's what's happening as far as the change that the the that organizations are beginning to look at themselves as not representative um, of the of the broader community. It's not that they didn't intend to be helpful; they just aren't in the yeah. sense that they, they don't deal with it that way. And so, I think one of the things we're going to see is a lot of money, um, foundations, government money, kind of trying to make up the the difference in the time that uh, that, that hasn't been used. Um, in, in this way, and uh, clearly, it's going to change. It's going to change the dynamic. I mean, there, there, are, we're going to find that um, that financing, for example, in low-income neighborhoods should be a lot more important than providing tax credits to wealthier people. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that happens is that when you use tax policy, it means you have to, you know, it's for people that earn incomes enough to pay taxes. Um, mm -hmm. That is not necessarily the case in at-risk communities, um, and so you have to find alternative means um, for financing it, so that you get neighborhood redevelopment organizations. You begin to look at situations. You know, you, you get a lot of empty lots, especially in these economic downturns where where people walk away from their rental houses, for example. Well, you can right. use those lands for solar um, installations. You can use those lands. Um, in a way that increases the, the, the environmental um, uh, health and welfare of those communities. And that's what has to happen on a much larger scale. Mm -hmm. Agreed. You know, looking at where, where monies are spent and where they come from at you know, federal or state or community levels, I think, is, is always important. I, find that's a very critical portion of my own research. Um, I saw that, um, I think it was at the end of June, New York's Energy Research and Development Agency um, said they were making about $11 million available 
in support of what they called the state's social energy equity framework. You know, mm-hmm. And it's these new, these new phraseologies that I see cropping up uh, that tell me that we're headed in a direction where we've never been before. Um, and those, that $11 million is supposed to address environmental justice in the state's energy sector. Um, so, you know, when we're putting big money towards concepts that have, have only just been basically lightly tangible before, I think is, is notable. Well, that's right. And the, you know, I mean, it's, uh, the, the, the impacts of this, I mean, are are tremendous. Not only on an economic, from on an economic front, in the sense of you know creating new business models and getting more people to work and what have you. Um, but the fact of the matter is, that it really is going to change the health of these of of, of these at risk communities. I mean, mm-hmm. it, they have been, they literally have been at the end of the discharge pipes for decades. For, I mean, where do you put a coal plant? You put it next to a low income. Community because they don't have the they don't have the wherewithal to oppose it, um, right. or the land is cheaper, or I mean there are, there are a million reasons why this happens. Um, you know, we talk. I mean, Flint is a perfect example of what happens when um, when environmental justice is not equal. Um, yeah. I mean, and so that so this is. I mean, there is a comp, there's a compensatory aspect to this, which is there there should be. Um, and still, I mean, the worst areas the cleanup projects alone um, should be able to keep the federal government um, and state governments busy for decades more. And I think mm-hmm. that this is something that, you know, we talk about throwing money at things. Well, money is going to make a difference in this case. But I think that, that the benefits that come out of this um, are going to be so um, much greater than what the investment goes in. And this is also something, you know, in the last session we talked about um, transportation. And I think this also comes into the into view when we talk about um, uh, about new industries, new technologies, public transportation, new pu- public transportation um, models, um, creating jobs in the electric vehicle um, uh, industry, and, and what have you. And so, the, I mean, these are these are areas that are the 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 opportunities and the benefits are are just are just multiple. And I think that should the election change. The administration and bring in a democratic Congress. We're going to see a lot of this um, in the next four years at least. If it doesn't, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because a lot of the private philanthropic groups just do not have the money um, anymore to be able to invest heavily in in this kind of in this kind of work because their money has been shifted over to the pandemic. Um, but I think that as far as the the understanding and the commitment is concerned. Nothing seems to be knocking that off of the the minds of not only politicians but of, 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 of voters as well. I've been very impressed with the fact that in the midst of this kind of pandemic environment, environmental justice is still um, at the top of people's lists, and they they don't talk about it as something that is a throwaway. They talk about it as something that is part of um, restarting the economy, for example. And I think that that's the other thing that happens here is that. There are a lot of opportunities. We need to restart the economy. We do. Europe does. Everybody else does. And the thing is, there's a point here now where we can begin again. And by beginning again, we have we have we can do this green, or we can do this the way it was before. And I think that how the election comes out is going to determine whether the recovery is going to be green or whether it's going to be traditional. If it's traditional, I think that the the conflicts are going to 
are just going to grow exponentially. If it's green, then people at least will be arguing about what programs um, should be funded rather than um, whether we should pay any attention to this or not. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, just uh, briefly, the concept of community solar as a, you know, an outlet for bringing solar to larger groups who couldn't necessarily afford it. There's a, uh, a new group in New York City called Solar Uptown Now, and they're mm. working to address the fact that communities that would benefit the most from cost savings of solar have the least access to it, which is you know how we started this conversation. Um, and that Solar Uptown Now campaign is working on bringing northern Manhattan community members together to purchase solar as a group uh, under what the solar industry has typically called a community solar model. Um, and so they're, they're trying to address it right at the source and identifying those places specifically in New York City where they will benefit the most from this group buying model. So it's it's one that I'm going to keep an eye on. Uh, I think we're going to see more of these. And, and again, I think the other thing that's going to happen too is that you know part of the problem has always been that low-income residents um, tend to be renters rather than, than owners. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, we need some... We need new models. I mean, the solar still costs, and I mean, even even at the the greatly reduced rate that I mean, solar is is coming into the market, um, separate solar systems, even community systems, still cost. So we have to find those models. But the other thing too is that it could this could be an opportunity to increase home ownership um, in low income communities as well. And what happens is that you not only vest people in the ownership of property, but you vest them um, in the ownership of solar. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, it's my understanding that um, this is a topic that you've been working on an article for and people could keep an eye out for that. Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, it'll be the first of, of several. And uh, I'll be kind of wrapping this in, too, as far as the uh, new reports on what uh, uh, legislation is coming up. The uh, A couple of bills that are in there now um, are called the Environmental Justice for All Act. There's one in the Senate, there's one in the House. There's they're, they're separate. They're the, the versions of each other in the various um, chambers. Uh, there are others coming in as well. And the uh, uh, recent report of the Select Committee on the Environmental Crisis also had sections on environmental justice. So I'll be writing um, on those pieces of legislation as well. Well, it seems like some important work you're doing there because those are pieces people should definitely be following. So I well, look forward to that. Um, and I look forward to our talking again and uh, continuing this discussion. All right. Wonderful. Well, I guess that takes care of it for today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can tweet questions or comments to hashtag ZeroNet50 and have a great day.